Pursuing your future doesn't end at 40. In fact, it may mark the beginning of knowing who you are, what you're capable of, and what you really want. But knowing what's next and how to get there can be a challenge, especially when old narratives play on repeat. Liberty Road is here to share stories so that you can consider your possibilities, pursue your purpose, and move into your future with intention. I'm your host, Netta Jones, and we're here to listen, learn, and liberate dreams one episode at a time. Hello, Liberty listeners. Welcome to another episode of Liberty Road. And normally I say you guys are in for a real treat and today is no exception, but I am in for a real treat. I am a big fan of Marla Aaron and the work that she's doing. Her jewelry line is beautiful and iconic. And I'm excited to share her story of how she went from one career to another to inspire you guys to do the same. Marla, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's just start with you telling us how you came into this, what is truly an iconic brand, this sort of industrial pieces that you mix with beautiful metals and stones. Like, how did you come up with this? So I have been obsessed with jewelry my entire life. I mean, for sure, the picture on my personal Instagram, like the profile picture is a picture of me at like three years old on the beach wearing jewelry. And when I went to a high school reunion, my 20th reunion a few years ago, yeah. I mean, many years ago now, uh, someone showed up wearing a necklace that I made her when we were in eighth grade. <laughs> And so oh my I have been obsessed with it and, you know, of all kinds, studying it judiciously on my own, you know, even as I had a different career. And at a certain point, I became, and I'm, I'm obsessed with hardware too, like mm -hmm. hardware store hardware. And at a certain point, yeah. I realized that if I took the shape of an industrial carabiner and I I could transform it and I understood 3D printing was happening and I could change the shape and morph them. You know, when I understood that that was a possibility, I had this whole idea lined up in my head. This was how, I, when I had a totally different career about claspless chains and locks of different sizes and shapes. And I nursed it for many years before I started the company. I think that's really important to always tell people this is not an yeah. overnight success at all. I hung out on 47th Street. I had a full-time job. I was a single mother. There was no way in hell I could quit my day job and just make jewelry. Like there was not any of right. that. And so I was making them and I was giving them away as gifts, right? I was just giving them to people. I was making them for myself. I was working at an ad agent when I finally quit and said, you know, I talked to my husband all the time. I want to start a jewelry company. And when you tell people this, even your own husband, they kind of look at you like you're insane. Like I had no experience. Yeah. Like, what are you even talking about? Yeah. And I ended yeah. up getting remarried and we both worked, we have two children, and I would talk about this and be like, you're absolutely nuts. You can't just throw a career away. I was running communications for a large global ad agency. And he was like, you're crazy. You cannot do this. And 
Everyone looked at me like I was crazy when I would talk about these things. But in the meantime, I would go to meetings wearing my jewelry. It would always become a conversation point. That was happening too. Yeah. I'll try and cut to the chase, but I, I ended up, this is a story that people do like to hear and it's really true. And anyone who was there with me and listens to this podcast will love that I told this story again. <laughs> I had a business trip in France for 10 days with this company that I was working for. And it was a crazy business trip. And I was there for 10 days. And I decided instead of staying at the hotel where everyone else who was going was staying, I decided to rent an apartment. So I rented an apartment. I arrived on a Sunday morning and I went to make myself a cup of coffee at like six in the morning because I had taken a red eye and I had to be fresh to get busy for the work that I had to do. Right. Right. And the coffee pot exploded on my arm and I ended up getting third and second degree burns all the way up my arm, like very serious, like hospital oh kind of stuff. Oh my gosh. A great deal of pain, but I had to keep working. So I was going to the hospital twice a day for them to clean it. I wasn't even allowed to touch it, covered in bandages, still working. And I was also really angry because I was missing sending my kids off to camp. So you have to understand the perfect storm that was in my head. Yeah. I'm hurt. Okay. I'm passionate yeah. about jewelry. I don't want to be doing this. And I'm now I'm yeah. injured and I'm not getting to see my kids off to camp. And suddenly something clicked in my head. Honestly, just like this, I turned to a colleague and I said, I'm leaving. I'm going home. There's plenty of you here to do this. All of us don't need to be here. I am hurt. I need to go home. I'm not even kidding. And I, I told her that this is what I was doing. She was like, go home. I met with the CEO. I went to the hotel where he was staying. And I'm like, listen, I'm leaving. You can see that I'm injured. I didn't say I was quitting. I said, I'll see you back in New York. But I was absolutely quitting. Okay, so I went wow. home and on the plane ride home, I wrote a PowerPoint deck for my husband, which he keeps threatening he's going to pull out. And in that PowerPoint <laughs> deck, I said, I'm quitting my job and here's how it benefits you. I mean, I was in marketing and advertising, so I was <laughs> making my pitch on the plane to my right. husband. And right. here's how it's going to benefit you. And within six months, I'm going to be sold at the top 25 independent jewelry stores in America. That was my statement. And I came home with the bandaged arm, gave the presentation. And, you know, he couldn't say no to me, right? I mean, yeah. like, it was very hard to say no. I'm injured. I wrote the presentation. And he's like, do it. Don't spend a penny. Do it from the house. Don't spend a penny. So that was his tacit agreement. And that's really how the business started. None of what I wrote in the presentation was true. Absolutely none of it. Okay? <laughs> it didn't work out that way. I had no idea what I was doing. But that's how I started. That's how I hung my shingle out. It gets a little more complicated than that because the first year I got nervous as someone that's worked my whole life. Of course, after I quit the job, I got nervous and I started taking consulting jobs. Yes, because you don't want to let go. I totally get it. Yeah. Did not want to let go. So I'm taking consulting jobs. I'm not doing what I want to be doing. And that yep. went on for a year and I wasn't making much progress. And then I finally realized that I was not making much progress. And I told my husband, I'm not going to do any more consulting. I'm really going to pull the rug out from under us. Yeah. I totally get that. I spent years actually consulting and sunsetted that in December just because I was like, if I keep doing that, right. and I had been doing it for 
over a decade and was working with female-owned businesses. But I was like, if I keep doing that, I'm going to end up in a position where I've helped all these other people with their vision and their dreams. And I haven't done that for myself, you know, and I'm not building equity in something on a very practical level. It made sense too. But it's almost like when you do that, you sort of self-sabotage the thing that you really love because you're not giving it time. You're not giving it the oxygen that it needs. Now, having said that, it's a privilege to be in that position to say, absolutely, I can do something full time. And I recognize that. And that wasn't always, I didn't always have that privilege, right? There were, there were times when we couldn't do it. Right. Oh, of course. And this was not an ideal time for us to do it. I want to be really yeah. clear about that. Yeah. But what happened that really like made me jump into action and stop doing all the consulting is the partner that I was consulting with, she and I, we got somehow we ended up landing an RFP for a massive piece of business. Yep. I didn't even want to go do it. I'm like, I don't want to do this. I, I, I want to do jewelry. And she's like, let's just fly to Detroit and do this. And so okay. we flew to Detroit. And when we got there, it was like the typical RFP for a, you know, a big company where there were binders about all of us, about us in the, on the table with these executives. And we gave our presentation and my partner was wearing all my jewelry and I was wearing all my jewelry. And at the end, he was like, you know, the CEO was like, very nice job, girls, really nice, blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, I have one question. He goes, what is that? And he pointed to Mary, my partner's necklace. And he's like, and she's like, this? Oh, this is a necklace that Marla made. It's a hobby. And then he opened the binder and they had found the little website that I had built. And he said, this is not a hobby. This is a passion. Wow. And we didn't get the job. And so on that plane ride home, I was like, this is a clear indication. Yeah. This is where I need to be spending my time. Okay. So before we move forward, I want to back up a little bit and talk about, I know you studied, I did a little stalking. I know you studied journalism and then you've had a whole career to your husband's point in a very corporate environment. Like that's, that's a big thing to leave that everything that you know, how you know how to work day to day, how to have a team, how to build something within sort of a scaffolded environment. Very scaffolded. Yeah. First of all, tell us about that career, because I think it's important for people to know. And I'm sure it comes back to inform building Marla Aaron as a brand. You know, it's funny. It definitely must inform it. And I often say, and I think it still says it in my bio, that I spent like 25 years in marketing and advertising, and I wasn't very good at it. And I do believe (laughs) that about myself. You know, I was going through the motions. Yeah. It was definitely a job for me. I mean, uh, Sunday nights, I would feel terrible. I would always like, oh, mm. oh, by three o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday, I would be like, I can't, I can't function. I, you know, I hate life. So I worked in publishing and I worked in advertising um, at advertising agencies. And mm-hmm. so I did that for many, many years. And I worked in Europe in publishing. I worked for Cosmopolitan Magazine and Elle Magazine. I learned certain skills about team building and certain skills about how to write, how to communicate, but nothing about running a business. No, no, it's a completely different animal. And so what was that transition like? Like when you finally said, I'm not doing any more consulting, you spent that year, you didn't get that last gig in Detroit, you come home and you realize I've got, I've got to spend all of my energy on this. And then you look around and it's just you in a room 
Like, where do you go from there? I mean, I had the jewelry. I would have to, you know, go to the workshop. I spent a lot of time in the workshop. I spent a lot of time. I wasn't making it. A workshop was making it. I spent a lot of time with them. I, you know, I was doing everything myself. What I wasn't doing, I didn't know how to get customers. I thought that the way would be I would write this marvelous email with wonderful pictures. I would send it out and that's how everyone would find out and everybody would want the collection. Nobody responded to those emails. Not one of those stores responded. And it occurred to me at a certain point, the thing that I was battling with my kids with most at that exact moment, they were tweens, I was battling about social media. Like I was like, Uh you can't have Instagram, you can't have Facebook, I must have permission, you must follow me back. If you do not follow me, I will take you off it. You will get a flip phone. You must check it at the door. I mean, all that craziness. I did all of that. At a certain point, it hit me. I don't know when it hit me, but I was like, I think I need to learn how to use this Instagram thing to put pictures of the jewelry on the, on the interweb. Yeah. So, so you knew instinctually, like there's something to this. I might not know how to use it yet. But I know that there's something to this. So one night at dinner, I asked my kid and they howled with laughter. And I presented it like, guys, I know I've been (laughs) very harsh, ridiculous and exacting about this, but I have a favor to ask. And so if you go way back in our Instagram, the very first photo is one of my sons upside down. And I was like, I can't post this upside down. You have to show me how to make it right. And he's like, I'm not showing you. You have to figure it out for yourself. And I remember just like, I don't know. I don't know. And then I'm like, oh my God, it's live. So it's still there. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great story. And I cannot imagine this sweet success or like fulfillment that must have been for the kids when you were like, I have a favor. Oh my God. I mean, nothing could be better as a tween. Nothing, right? Like they're, I mean, they were like rolling their eyes and watching me find my way through it, you know, was just absolutely hilarity. But then when it started to grow, the day I got the blue check, I, they knew it before I did. They're like, mom. (laughs) Mom, how did this happen? Is that even real? What does it even mean? They're like, it's a thing now. You're the real deal. You're the real deal. When was that? Do you remember when that was? Give me a year. Oh my gosh. It was 2016, 17, maybe 2017, 2018, something like that. So you were, if we just think about all the crazy algorithm stuff and all that, you kind of were ahead of some of that and were really... And and your product is so visual, right? I can put this stuff up. I can get attention for something that's unique and build something around this, right? I'm showing pretty pictures of what I'm creating. So it was a great tool for you, but also you were utilizing it early on. I mean, I don't know if I've utilized it well, and I know we've (laughs) we've come up with our own little way of utilizing it, but I have to say it also brought us customers almost instantaneously that was just beyond my wildest dreams, customers from Australia, customers, stores from Japan, a store from Japan was our first, one of our first retail partners. I mean, and they would traipse, these people would come traipse into my house to see the jewelry with the sporting goods and the pets and the, I mean, it was nuts. And 
Yeah. I mean, it was very crazy. And I was working alone for a very, very long time. I did not hire my first employee. So from 2013 to 2016, I was working by myself in 2016, hired my first employee in my house. Then I had two employees in my house. And now we are about 20 and we're in our fifth space. So 20 people. So that's a team of people that probably help manage all the administrative, your day-to-day. There's people that are managing the buying of the products and customers and things like that. I mean, people that are buying from you guys, trade shows, pop-ups, things like that. We don't do any trade shows, but it's we have a customer-facing showroom where customers Uh book appointments, and they have since 2019. With that beautiful box that opens up? Yeah. Love that box. Thank you. We're making more of them. And then we have... um, customer facing showroom and we have and then we have marketing we have wholesale we have a production team a fulfillment team and then me so who were the first people not by name but what were those roles when you go back and you say my first and my second hire what were the things that you needed most support with oh it's it's easy the first well the very first support that i needed was I mean, this is crazy. This wasn't actually the first employee. This was the first temp. The first temp, every year, I I don't bake them anymore, but I still do it. I give away at Christmas time uh, this cake that's my recipe, which is called the sea salt butter cake. And I was baking them myself and giving them away for Christmas. And one Christmas, it was so insane. My husband was like, are you nuts? Jewelry <laughs> is your just holiday. a little, like, just a little. <laughs> yeah. All these cakes. So I yeah. put an ad out, and this young woman who <laughs> I can't believe she still speaks to me. Her name Inez. She was hired as a temp, and she came to bake. And I said, "Look, you're going to bake cakes. You're going to pack jewelry. You're going to." we're going to ship jewelry. We're going to do all these things. And the two of us this Christmas, where it was so over the top crazy. I mean, there are pictures of like both of us covered in flour, packing jewelry. I'm baking the cakes. We're delivering the cakes. And so that was really where I realized, okay, I need to hire someone. So the first person I hired was really an assistant and she is now head of product development at the company. She's still with you. She is. She's actually leaving. Wow. She's leaving for love. She's leaving to move oh. out west for love. But she is, yes, she is still, she was still with me until now. That says a lot. That says a lot about, I'm sure, you bringing her up and training her, but also that she was there to kind of learn the business with you yeah. and to understand what was needed. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. So there's a lot of that. And our workshops that I work with are still the original workshops. I mean, we've added more, but the same one that I started with this guy, the one guy on the street who I went to who said he would try and see if he could do it. Like he, his son and their their team are still making our jewelry. And then we have others too. Wow. So, so when you say workshops, these are literal jewelry smith. Like there's yeah, they, there are people who are experts around. at their craft. We are on 47th Street. We are on oh 47th Street, which is really the jewelry capital of the United yep. States. This is where all the diamond the diamonds come in and out. There's manufacturing, some of the highest level manufacturing in the country is here. Um, it is a dying art. You should watch Uncut Gems. I would say that is the most realistic portrayal of what this street is like. And some of the people that appear in that movie are actually 
like the FedEx guy in the movie is the FedEx guy. So oh, that's that's cool to know. I will watch it with that eye in mind. Yeah, yeah. How do you you talk about when you first brought it up to your husband and he was like, don't spend a dime, you know, and kind of work from home. Jewelry is an expensive venture to get in and not, not in terms of like overhead and you need a big office and all of that, but you're buying expensive product, whether it's the metal or it's the, the jewels. Yeah. Casting houses where you cast the gold. I mean, I had to pay every time I picked something up, I did it with baby steps. It literally was, I ate what I killed. And I will admit, I melted down some heirlooms, some family heirlooms to support it, to just to test my idea, you know, like to test it. I would make a little, make more, make more. And the workshop was very protective. Everyone on the street, I still work with them, the same casting house, the same. I mean, that, but like, for example, I wanted to make the all stone diamond lock and they mm-hmm. were terrified for me. They're like, make it in cubic zirconia. Don't make a real one. I'm like, yeah. stop it. We can afford to buy a few little diamonds just for one. Yeah. And they're like, no, no. And then I'm like, let's do it. And so we made we made the first all stone lock and literally I put it on Instagram in my hand and it was gone. I mean, 10,000, I mean, it was crazy. I mean, the things that were happening were crazy. Well, when I talked about earlier, when I was introducing you and and talking about this iconic brand, it truly is. And I think what's interesting is you obviously, you said you, you know, from, from childhood enjoyed jewelry, but there was something about the jewelry and the hardware. There's something about that intersection that you have absolutely, no pun intended, nailed, but you really understood what was missing in the market as well. It wasn't just these two things that you loved. It was something that wasn't delicate, but it had delicacy to it, right? Like the diamonds in the lock. So there's something about what you were offering was something we had never seen. Oh, definitely it wasn't. And, you know, of course we've had lots of copycats, but at the time I would go to um, the chain manufacturers and they'd be like, okay, here are the chains. We'll give you 16, 18. I'm like, and with the class, with the lobster class, I'm like, no, 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 I don't want any clasps. No clasps. Just leave it. Just, just, we're going to do something else. So no claspless chains. But what, what's more interesting than anything else, I mean, yes, all the locks and the chains were interesting, but it's how, what I'd never anticipated was how it was like an itch. And when I got started, and that's where all of our newer mechanisms have started coming into play. I mean, we've moved so far beyond the locks. The locks are still very yeah. important to us, but the DNA right. series of rings that opens, the trunk mm-hmm. lock series, the earrings that open and close and, and are convertible, like all of this, it, it was just like opening a doorway. Like if you can manage in your life to find what you're passionate about, it's mm. literally like a doorway. And once you fall through it, it's literally like Alice in Wonderland. Like I could I could work without stopping. I could keep going and going and going. And it's just endless what's coming from you because it's coming from a place of passion. It's coming from a place of joy. And I know it's work and it's hard work and there are lots of days that don't feel like they're filled with joy, but it's coming from something deep within you. And yeah. as somebody who had a completely different and successful career, you don't stay, no matter what you say about, I wasn't very good at it. You don't stay in that career at that high level without being a success at it. So walking away from that and seeing like, oh, 
this is different. This is a different type of success. This is a different type of joy or fulfillment. I think in a corporate world, you can exist yeah. if you're pleasant enough. I can't explain yeah. it. Like there's... <laughs> I mean, there's sort of like a baseline, you know, don't, don't screw it up, be pleasant. But you also don't get the same sense. And I spent much less time in corporate America, but you don't get the same satisfaction of moving the needle and I mean, really having an impact. And I had, you know, the good fortune of being able to do some really interesting things, but nothing compared to my little piece of the pie where I was really, really able to influence even a single person that felt monumental. Do you have that sort of, yeah. yeah. A a thousand percent. One person, one person receiving our jewelry and loving it was like, I, I mean, I can't even describe the joy that I feel when I see people who wear our jewelry, how excited I get. I mean, just the average person. It's happened a couple of times in New York where I've seen people, I don't do it anymore, wearing our jewelry and I've run up to them and my husband's like, you can never do that again. (laughs) Never do You scared that woman. I cannot do that again. I'm to tell him that if, if that was me and you came up to me, like that would have been everything, right? Because there is something about you and getting to know who is the person behind this. And I remember because I saw the jewelry and, and knew the jewelry before I knew that there was a woman behind it. And and then it was like, oh, this there's something special about this. And then hearing about your backstory, and it was like, this is really special. Oh, and I also, no, it's, it's, it's true. And there's, you know, you talked about Instagram being a success for you. If listeners, if you haven't signed up for, Marla's newsletter sign up because there's something very tongue in cheekish and almost a little snarky sometimes with even your newsletter. It's very casual. You know, your jewelry is high end and yet you treat the user as a friend and it's very casual, similar to your jewelry. And I don't know if this is intentional. You take some of the fuss out of the jewelry piece of it and you take some of the fuss and the delicate piece of us dealing with jewelry, like some of the big brands that we know, right? It's It all seems very precious. And you remove that and you make it very accessible. It's like there's something very grounded in your work. I don't, again, I don't know if that comes from your marketing background, but it comes across. Thank you. I think it's a sense of practicality and just, mm-hmm. I know I know what I wanted to do with the jewelry myself. I know why I wanted it to exist. And I... And I think it resonated with people that they wanted that too. They wanted to resolve problems. They wanted to pick up the detritus of their life in their jewelry box and mm. reuse it and rewear it. And these, the jewelry should be tools to allow you to play with your jewelry, to use it in fun ways and to do fun things with it. And yes, it's precious, but wear it, enjoy it, say right. something important with it. Yeah. I love that. What was the very first piece that you made? Do you remember? I mean, of course you remember. Yes, the large silver lock, the largest lock we make. I did a large one in silver on a strand on a strand of pearls, and then I made others. Then I made other sizes. Then we did the cuffling series. Then when and everything was like a little window. When I tried to, when I did inlay on one piece on mm-hmm. one part of a lock, mm-hmm. I was like, oh my god, could we do the whole thing? Yes, we can. Can we inlay a chain? Yes, we can. You know. Should we make a ring that opens? There have been 
poesy or puzzle rings all the time, but they're, they've never been like this with a lever yeah. that opens that yeah. has a message in them. You know, how, how many ways can we make this ring? I guess for me, it's always like, how many ways can we do this? Like iterating and, you know, coming up with all these different ways and things to do. Like I'm never tired of it. It almost is like the brand has a DNA that you keep coming back to by iterating on those same things, which seems really important because that's the audience that you're speaking to. They've yes. fallen in love with that. We talked about your corporate career and your career as a as an entrepreneur. What would you say is the biggest difference about your past work and the work you're doing now? And what did that work not fulfill that being an entrepreneur has fulfilled? Oh, I mean, I, so many things. I mean, it was not product. My work was not product focused. So mm. that was very, you know, I'm a product person and it yeah. wasn't as creative. I, may, I, I I spent a lot of time doing creative things outside of work because I felt so stultified in my work with creativity, you know? So I spent a lot of time doing create, like whether it be painting my children's rooms, making blankets. Cakes at Christmas. A lot of cakes. Um, <laughs> dumping uh, dragonflies into resin. I, you know, any kind of crazy thing was going on in our house. So yeah, I, I think there was so much, I can't even begin to express how little. And I am fighting now against any corporatization of my own company. Like I mm. do fight it and, you know, corporatization of like our, so, you know, anything I just, but I know we need it. You know, I know there are yeah. certain things that we need as we continue to grow, but so that's hard learning. Also, what I didn't anticipate with running the business was how creative it would be. I mean, I know making the jewelry and sharing the jewelry with the world is a very creative endeavor, but what I didn't expect is the creativity necessary to build a business and how creative that is. So, okay, this is interesting to me as you talk about the corporatization of what you're doing. So a lot of times, both when I was a consultant and in these interviews, I'll hear somebody say... I, the thing I started doing, I always use the cupcake cake example, but I, you know, somebody wanted to make cupcakes. So they opened a cupcake shop a year from starting. They're no longer making cupcakes. They're managing, they're buying flour, they're buying sugar, they're, you know, hiring employees. They're trying to figure out they're in the back room somewhere handling finances. How are you maintaining being connected to the creative part that gives you joy and sparked this whole thing from the beginning. I keep it very close. I mean, I keep yeah. it right on my board. And so the people you hire out are the people that do those other things so that you can maintain the work that you set out to do. I mean, I'm part of all the processes. I mean, you know, it's a very design-driven business. Yeah. So I have a lot of feelings about how I want it to be. I have a lot of feelings about everything, how how we talk to our employees, how we communicate, you know, whatever goes on, I have feeling, you know, so I keep, I'm not going to be able to keep it all so close forever, but you know, yeah, I'm keeping it pretty close. What are some of the things that you feel like because you had a corporate background that you want to, as you grow, as, as Marla Aaron, the brand grows, what are some of the things that you're because you've talked about employees a lot, you have an employee that's been with you from the beginning. What are the things that you're like, I want to make sure 
we do this here at my company. I'm not just building jewelry for clients. I'm building a company. I want to make sure that these core values are intact as we continue to grow. This is a, that this is a really nice place to work, um, that we're very conscious of how my, my team experiences their day-to-day work. I think the work world has changed dramatically. And so I know that we need, that that is a very big focus of what I do. I am in very, H, HR is a critical piece of the, if you're not considering and thinking about HR every single day in your business today, then you're, it's a problem because you need to think about people mm. and how they feel in their jobs. Yeah. This is the, this is the world we live in. So we recently made a decision to go to a 4.5 day work week. So we're a four, we're a company that does a 4.5 day work week. What that means for the company, we're still figuring out, but it felt like the very much the right thing to do and the wave mm. of the future. So I'm trying to stay very much on top of those things. I feel like I want us to be a caring workplace. Yeah. I want employees never to think, oh, can they take time off for a sick family member? I I don't want these ever to be issues. I hate to do this, but I I have to do this. Is that driven by you being a female? Probably. I went back to work when my child was four weeks old. That was devastating. I don't want anyone ever to do that, ever to do that. It's, it's not the right, I don't think that's the right thing to do. I think I spent, I spent five years working in Europe. So I might, that right might've impacted me a great deal as well. It could be because I'm a woman, but you know, my husband has a very similar take and he's, he runs a company. And so he also, we're very aligned in this. You know, I, I think we both grew up in, you know, we're, he, where there was a grind, grinding the ones who grind the most win. Yeah. And I don't think that that's not the same. And I still think there's a recipe for success, even if you're not grinding at the highest level. Yeah. Yeah. Well, being efficient and, and focused on the work and not the, you know, especially coming from a corporate background, you probably saw a lot of waste, a waste Mm -hmm. of resources, human and otherwise. Yeah. It's nice that you and your husband have that opportunity to bring those things to the table and discuss them. Yeah. How how you're managing that t- together. I want to go back to something that you uh, said earlier because I think it's important that we acknowledge and we chatted about privilege, but you didn't do this when you were a single mother. Even though you loved jewelry, you knew that that was something that you were passionate about, but there's kind of a time and a space for everything or a time and a place for everything. How much do you think the trip to Paris and the explosion of the coffee maker aside, that sort of you know straw that broke the camel's back, do you think that a lot of it had to do with, I'm just in a place where I can do this? And so, yes, it was going to take a toll on you, right? There was a financial uh, benefit that you were giving up. But could you imagine having done that before you were remarried? I think it would have been really hard. It was really hard when I was remarried too. Yeah. I want to point that out. Yeah. I will say I was fortunate to have a support. I don't know how supportive he would have been. I mean, it was a year and I beca- it became 
it became profitable the first year. So very yeah. small, but you know, I turned a profit. Yeah. And then and, uh, and then it became exponential. But you know, I don't know how patient he would have been, <laughs> you know, had you not had that or how patient you would have been. You may have gone back to consulting. Yeah. I don't know how patient I would have been. But yes, I'm torn always about saying this because people ask yeah. me the question. And I wish, I deeply wish I had started earlier in my life. Like I'm sad that I'm 50. I'm not sad that I'm 55, but I wish I had more time. I have so much to do. I cannot tell you how much I want to do. It's mm. crazy. I believe you. So I hope I get to do all the things. I wish I'd had the courage to do it earlier in my life. I really wish I had had the courage to, when I sat down to talk about colleges with my father, mm-hmm. I wish I had had the courage and the language to talk about going to art school, which I never would have brought up in a gazillion years. Oh, interesting. And so, and he, and I've talked to him about this and he feels that my work experience completely, and my college, you know, my degrees completely sure. inform what I do today. And I just wonder if what it what it life would have been like if I had gone to like the Rhode Island School of Design, you know, I have a yeah. lot of fantasies about that, but that's not what my that's not my truth, right? That's not what yeah. happened. Yeah, it is more scrappy, but you haven't settled into that, which I have that question for you coming up, because I think a lot of women and I, and I want to clarify, I don't ask about the would you have done it as a single mother at, and you know, having the support of a a husband, like, did that make it easier? I know that it's hard. And I know that some single women do need to do that. They do need to say like, I'm going to have to figure this out. And maybe they would have done it. You would have done it, it, it more slowly. It doesn't mean that you couldn't have done it and that it wasn't a hardship even as a married person. But I also want people, I always say, if we're gonna empower women on this podcast, then we need to tell the truth. And if they have that whole truth in front of them, then they can take what they need for themselves and and be inspired um, by those stories. But what you just said right now about having so much that you want to do, I find that so many women think it's over. Like I'm, you know, you and I are, we're the same age. And I can't tell you how many times they say, I, I'm done, I'm going to retire from being an attorney or even from running their own business. But it's it's not the business that they want to leave. It's they're not doing the work that's bringing them joy. And I don't care if it's writing a book or starting a nonprofit. It doesn't have to be a profitable business. What do you want to say to her about how she shouldn't give up? Like, oh my God, what, what are your words say, of wisdom? I would say, because people say things to me all the time, like, how do you find what you're good at? Or how do you figure out what business to start. And that's not, that is not my, was not my starting point. I knew what I want. I knew so clearly it was mapped out in my mind. I was mapping it out in bed at night. I, it was there. The whole thing was there. And it's so, you know, it's much more than I thought it would be now, but it's, it is exactly what I wanted it to be. And I don't think you could do that. I think And I, like I said earlier, creativity is an itch. And I think if you want to get to the core, just do like, don't just do things, do things, find what you're interested, do, do anything um, and get out of your, you know, get out of your rut, try things, you know, I, I know it's cliche, but 
No, I, I believe it's true. I believe we have to, there are curiosities that we need to sort of satisfy and then doors open and things become available to us. Now, having had the conversation with your father about if only you had gone to art school, did that change how you parented your own kids? Yes, a hundred percent. I mean, my kid, yeah. one of my children has left college because he's a developer and it, it it's unnecessary. He's a game developer. Yeah unnecessary for him to be a college with our 100% full support. The other one is in college. And I would love to see, you know, you know, he knows I don't if he said to me he was leaving college tomorrow, I'd be like, great, what are you what are you up to? He hasn't declared a major and he's a junior. He has many, many interests. He doesn't know what he's going to do. And I'm totally unconcerned. Yeah, because because he's sort of well, he's got you as a model to, to, you know, someone who knows what it means to play and to find that bliss and then to lean into it in a responsible way. He's at a very competitive university where everyone yeah. around him is angling for internships at Google and Morgan and Morgan I'm Stanley. Sure. And I tell him, don't listen to that. That's noise. Yeah. That is noise. Yeah. They're just going to be in a cubicle pushing paper. Yeah. I'm like, don't listen to the noise. Listen to your heart. Do not listen to that shit. I tell him, I really am very clear with him about how I feel. I mean, I believe they both know that nothing would surprise, you know, it's awesome to have a mother who can cheerlead from that vantage point and who's been there and done that, who, who knows what that emptiness can be. No, that's amazing. What do you think, you've talked about, I wish I would have started earlier, but what do you think that starting later in life, not, not late, just later, um, what do you think that it is informed in your business and the way you do business? Uh I'm not a patient. I'm not that patient, but I'm probably much more patient than I would have been. You know, I went through something, you know, I had a dramatic uh, divorce in my life that really transformed a lot of my views on life. Like once, once something really terrible happens to you, anything, it really can transform how you view the world. So I would say those things probably really changed me. And it sounds like changed you in a way that, I mean, even your sensitivity to your, your team and your, and the way that you're creating a business, um, made up of people who have lives. I mean, you're impacting that in the same way that you're impacting the design world and, and jewelry and the people who wear it. And I think that intentionality can't be, doesn't come with, with youth. It it comes with life and experience. Marla, before I let you go, um, and thank you for so much wisdom that you've poured into the first part of this podcast, but before I let you go, we have something called our Fast Five. So I'm just going to ask you, what's a favorite hack or a book, a brand that you're using, anything that you want to share with the women over 40 that are listening right now? All right. I'm going to say this. I would say, (laughs) and everyone here at work knows, I, I work out. I work out five to six days a week without exception. I I keep the schedule when I'm traveling. I do not not work out. And I think it's very, very physical fitness and your physical health is extremely important. Honor it. Take care of it, whatever that means for you. For me, that means lifting weights four days a week, trying to learn very classic Pilates and, you know, 
and doing some high intensity things on another day. I'm pretty disciplined about it. That's awesome. That's a good one. One that I needed to hear. (laughs) It's just, it's very important for my head. It's where I get my best. I don't go in a field and sketch. I'm literally in the gym when I have like, oh yeah, I need to handle that this way. Or, you know, I'm breaking a sweat. Those moments of, of clarity come, come there. And then on the opposite side of the health conversation, what's your favorite ice cream flavor? Black licorice without exception. <laughs> okay. So we, at Easter, we, uh, we were hosting this year and had, I, I'm a huge black licorice fan. And you are? Huge. And my kids, everyone took a vote at the table. We probably had like 20 some people here. And I was the only one that liked black licorice. And my kids, my two boys my who were here with us, they said, okay, you like black licorice. You like anchovies. Like you like me all too. the things that everybody hates. <laughs> That's and me. I'm like, I'll take it. So what's your favorite black licorice? Well, my favorite is the black licorice ice cream at a place called Sugar Hill Creamery in Harlem. Okay, I'm going to try it next time I'm there. I, I'll be Where in New York based? this summer. I'm in LA. You're in, you know I'm coming to LA next week. You are? We need to talk about this offline, but I'm, I'm doing a five-day installation at the Peninsula Hotel. Okay, let's talk about this online. But before I let you go, I need three more questions. What is your favorite thing about this stage of life? What are you enjoying most? Oh, my God. I honestly have to say, this is crazy. I would say this to young people. They're so, the young women I work with, they're so concerned with their looks. They're literally so concerned with their looks. Every little thing they see. And as you get older, every little thing you see, it like it doesn't yeah. matter. I I love that I literally don't care as much. So, and I consciously, if you see my stories and me on Instagram, I often like do not have makeup on. I'm just like, oh, let me just tell you this. <laughs> and I, it's given me so much freedom to see me. That doesn't mean that I'm not vain sure. and I don't wear makeup or I don't, you know, get injections or obsess if I should have a facelift. It doesn't mean any right. of that. Right. It just means that I give less of a yeah. shit. It just means that I'm not totally obsessed and I can get out the door in 10 minutes. There's a lot of freedom in that. It's also an, it's a way of accepting who we are more fully. It's not just the freedom and the, the, of getting out of the door quickly, but there's a, there's like an understanding of who we are and what we have to offer the world. If you were mentoring your younger self, if you could go back and say to your young, the younger Marla, something about midlife, what would you say to her? Oh gosh, I would have said, I would have started earlier. I would have been more courageous. I've had a lot of other ideas. I never, I can't believe I'm saying this about myself. I never thought of myself as like a business maker or a business builder or someone who, I never thought of myself this way when I was younger and I, but I had lots of ideas and I should have pursued them. The other, the other, in, in different industries, lots of things I wanted to make. I should have started earlier. I really should have, but I just didn't. I never thought it was what was what I was going to be doing. Well, there's more time and more iterations. I'm sure I can't wait to watch them come. What has launching this company and this brand done to liberate you? How has it liberated you? I feel very in charge of my own destiny, good and bad. You know, it was very scary during the pandemic. You know, the day, 
the day I the day I sent everybody home to on lockdown was the same day I handed in the biggest check of my life for a 10-year lease on a 5,500-square-foot oh, space in midtown Manhattan. And I literally, it was like, okay, this is the end right here. Wow. <laughs> you know, this is it. And so, but, you know, at a certain point, I picked up myself off the floor, dusted myself off, and I was like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to renovate this space, and people will buy jewelry again. It's going to be okay. Yeah. Didn't anticipate, to, you know, of course. but it was okay. But it was very, very scary. So it, I felt it acutely in charge of my destiny there. And on the positive side, like now, like I have decisions to make about where do we want to take this company? You know, what do we want to do? Well, we can't wait to see what you want to do. And we'll be, we'll be following you all the way there. Marla, thank you for taking this time with us. I so appreciate it. And it's so fun for me to get to meet you and to chat with you. Thank you so much for having me. Liberty listeners, thank you for hanging out. So excited for you to get to know her jewelry. As soon as you see it, if you don't know it, you'll say, oh, that's the person who makes this stuff. It is truly uh, iconic to use a word that I've overused. Thank you for hanging out with us and we will talk to you next week. Bye. Liberty Road is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and more. If you like what you've heard, please follow, rate, and review Liberty Road on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping your ventures. Liberty Road is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Joy Windham and music by Jordan Flowers.